This is the Impact Nations podcast, episode seven. Do you want to get well? Where is Jesus leading us to? Who is He leading us to? Does compassion trump faith? Steve discusses those questions and more in this study of John chapter five. And uh, we'll go the first 12 verses, and then I want to jump to verse 17. After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there's a pool called Bethesda in Hebrew, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the sick, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water because an angel would go down into the pool and from time to time would stir up the water. Then the first one who got in after the water was stirred up uh, recovered from whatever ailment he had. One man was there who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, uh, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the sick man answered, I don't have a man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. Now, that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who'd been healed, This is the Sabbath. It's illegal for you to pick up your mat. He replied, The man who made me well told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you, Pick up your mat and walk? They asked. But the man who was cured did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And let me just kind of jump ahead to verse 17. Jesus responded to them, because, uh, let me go back to 16. Therefore the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus responded to them, My Father is still working, and I am working also. You guys will notice right away that one of the themes that we've recognized the last two weeks is Jesus was really identifying himself um, as, as the Lord of and outside of time and space. Remember last week we talked a lot about the temple. And he said, if you tear down this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. And he was talking about his body. That, that this is one of the incarnational themes that John gives us. That, um, that, that Jesus is the new temple. But the special holy time for the Jews was what? The Sabbath. And he is saying, I'm the Sabbath. This is very much what, what keeps developing through John's Gospel. So, let me tell you something interesting about Bethesda. It's a common name now. Lots of hospitals are named Bethesda. Bethesda was, was built about the time of Herod the Great, and it was surprisingly big. Uh, they, they just excavated it in the last century. And uh, it was about 165 feet across and 315 feet long. So it was big. But it wasn't just an open pool. It was these big colonnades or towers. And uh, <clears throat> here's the thing about Bethesda. It was filled with people who'd been sick and paralyzed and blind 
for a long, long time. For us to get the best understanding of the setting for this story is to think of, of an asylum or a long-term care, long care facility. Just think about, probably most of us have been to a place like that at one time or another, maybe where people go to die. Uh, there's a famous ward in, in the city, we're from Vancouver, uh, called Tennessee. And uh, I remember I used to go there, uh, and the first time was shocking to me. Tennessee was where the AIDS victims went to die. This was before we had the ARBs and everything. And it, it was deserted because everybody was scared to go there. And, and I thought of that as I was reading about Bethesda. Jesus was going to an asylum. Okay? That kind of helps us get a, the right perspective. So we see he's back in Jerusalem. It's during a festival. Historians generally think it was probably Pentecost. <coughs> Here is interesting. He's got his disciples with him. Remember the first time he took them anywhere, where did he go? Went to a wedding, went to a party, right? And now we see him taking them, and then he went on his first, the first missional trip, chapter 4, was to Samaria, and we talked about all the reasons why the Jews were, were so uh, uh, much against the Samaritans. And now we see him back in Jerusalem, but he doesn't go to the places of power and influence the temple. He goes to where others won't go. And I was thinking a lot about that this afternoon, actually. Um, this place, Bethesda, it says, and within it lay a large number of the sick and the paralyzed and the blind. Jesus is always teaching his disciples by example. Uh, another time I'll develop this, but, but Jesus discipled very differently than we do in the West. We give instruction, and when you've taken all that instruction, you're a disciple. Jesus discipled, yes, by instruction, but also by imitation. Go where I go, do what I do, follow me. And by a, 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 an inclusive life, they just live life with him. So he is teaching the disciples by his example. And if we go back one step, John is seeking to teach us by that same example. Um, he wants them to realize that their first calling is going to be to the broken and to the rejected and to the weak and the overlooked. Paul, uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, 27-29, he said this, God chose the things of the world. Uh, God chose the things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. This gospel is radical. In fact, the, the gospel as I understand it is, is multiple times more radical than I understood 20-30 years ago. And the deeper I get into the gospel, the more countercultural I realize that it is. So you see here, I keep going back to the same thing. 
nothing is wasted. This episode in this chapter, it opens with him going to an asylum, going to a place where others don't want to go, going to the despised. <coughs> Verse 6, when Jesus saw him laying there and knew he'd already been there for a long time, by going there, by seeing him, and that word see is really powerful. We talked about it before, perceiving. It's not a glance. By going there and seeing him, Jesus was building a bridge. A bridge where nobody else wanted to build a bridge. Compassion always sees the invisible ones. I'm telling you, uh, if you look at uh, Luke uh, Luke, Luke 15, 20, one of my favorite verses where the, the father sees the son. He sees him, he feels compassion for him, and he takes the action. Did you know, I'm reading a lot on the early church again these days, and the early church was, was known and recognized even by the ones that were persecuting it. Uh, it was known for its care of the rejected and the sick and the weak and the abandoned. That is what marked the early church. And we often spiritualize things. Even those verses I just read you from 1 Corinthians. Well, it's just, I feel weak on the inside. Or I feel despised on the inside. Well, I'm not negating that. But there's more of a literal thing. God built His church. The early church was built with outcasts. And it was built with people who understood that they were to be rescuers. They were to be a bridge. They were to follow Jesus. And this is where Jesus goes. Okay? Um, so he sees this guy, and, and we usually say he was at the pool for 38 years. Well, actually, the scripture doesn't say that. He was at the pool, and he'd been sick for 38 years. Uh, it's interesting that, that Jesus knew that. Maybe he just asked somebody, or maybe he knew it kind of supernaturally. But what does he do? He says, do you want to get well? This is another one of those key questions. Remember I, I said to you um, in John chapter 1, pay attention to the questions that he asks. Remember I said that? Well, this one, I promise you, is a key. Do you want to get well? And John puts it in there, I'm convinced, it, it wasn't just for the paralytic. It was for all of us who go into this scripture. You know, I've learned this from all these years of, of working with the sick and, and the outcasts, that after a long time, when somebody has been sick or in pain or death or whatever for a long time, it is extremely hard for them to separate their condition from their identity. They see themselves physically. I, I am uh, a cripple. I am... Uh, the guy with the bad back for 112 years. You know, I am, I am. And, and one of my jobs when I'm praying for the sick um, is to help them see that they are not their condition. It's very powerful, and it does, it, it does trap people. I, I remember one time we were in uh, the Dominican Republic, and uh, we were doing meetings right in the center of the capital, and it was an amazing time. I think we did four or five nights, and police were getting saved and all kinds of stuff. But there was a moment that I knew that Jesus was going to heal deaf people. And nine deaf people were brought. 
And I prayed for them, and all of them, we had this happen in New Brunswick too once, so it, just so you know, it isn't always over in the far side of the world, uh, although Dominican Republic isn't exactly Timbuktu. Anyway, prayed, and uh, ears completely open. It was one of those moments when I just knew heaven was broken in, right? And uh, remember I talked to you last week about Jesus carried heaven now. Heal, 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 heal. Eight healing. Get to the ninth, who happened to be a pastor's wife. And as I was going to pray for her, she says, "Oh, but I've, I've always been deaf, and, and people have prayed for me before, and I, I don't, I don't think anything will happen." And I said, "Ma'am, look, all eight of these people, and they're rejoicing and clapping me, and some of it on video." But she couldn't separate her condition from her identity. Isn't that interesting? Even in that environment. So did you pray for she healed? Oh, of course I prayed for her and no, she wasn't healed. Because, well, if you want to. But she was physically almost stepping away, you know. Um, so, Jesus says, do you want to get well? And he says it to us too. Because we all have our areas of weakness. We all have our areas of emotional paralysis. Or whatever metaphor we want to use. Because there's a cost to change. And it's not just true with physical healing. It's true for whatever gets healed in us. There's a cost. I've got to live in a different way. I've got to see myself in a different way. Now here's the thing in verse 7 that just amazes me. You know, in especially in the synoptics, um, so often there's the emphasis on faith. According to your faith, so be it. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. Absolutely true, of course. But here, Jesus does not respond to the man's faith. Do you want to get well? The guy never even says yes. He goes, oh man, I've been here forever. And somebody always beats me to the pool. And so different from ever blind Bartimaeus. Son of David, have mercy me. He does not respond to this man's faith, but to his despair. I think that's a really important thing for us to understand. I think for many of us as charismatics, and some of us may have even come out of the faith movement, we are so focused on faith that the really the foundation of the kingdom is compassion. And so... He never looks for faith. He just responds to his despair. And think of his sense of abandonment. Imagine yourself in this large place where there were many, many, many rejected, isolated, sick, blind, deaf people. And that was your abode. I mean, that's just where you spent your days. And imagine that that loss of self-worth. I encounter even self-loathing with people sometimes when they've been sick for a long time. Jesus didn't respond to his faith. He responded to his despair. And there's a lesson for us there. And then he says, in, he gets right to the point, verse 8. He says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. There's a call to action, a call to activation. Um, I really believe that, and I've shifted a lot over the years on this, but I think that, that we must activate our faith. And I think that as we begin to act in obedience to what the Lord is saying, 
our, our hearts change. We tend to think, when my heart changes, when I feel less depressed, when I feel less anxious, then I'll step out. But no, Jesus says, step out. Remember one time I was in a village in India, and they brought me into a house, and there was a guy who'd had a, a very bad accident. If I recall, it was a motorcycle accident, and he'd been lying in his bed in pain and with his leg twisted for nine months. Hadn't been out of bed, and they brought me in here. And, uh, and I was going to pray for him, and then suddenly this unction came on me. And I took him by the hand. I mean, I'm a nice, polite Canadian, right? I, but I took him by the hand. I said, in the name of Jesus, you get up now. And he got up. And he walked, and he walked, and he walked, and the people went ballistic, and he went ballistic, and then he started to run. He had to activate his faith. So that's clear to me in healing, but it's becoming more clear to me in life. The things that need to be healed in our own hearts, in our own thought process, we've got to activate, activate our faith. Today's episode is brought to you by Bulgaria. Join Impact Nations September 16th to the 28th for a trip that will change your life. Watch as people are healed right before your eyes as you pray for the sick in Jesus' name. Deliver food and medicine to a people that face daily rejection and a life of poverty. We will be ministering to the Roma people in villages where the unemployment rate is as high as 70%. You could bring a message of hope to a people who believe they've been forgotten. Lives will change forever at the hearing of that message. Your life will change forever too, I promise. Join us. You'll never be the same. Visit impactnations.com slash J-O-C to learn more about our trip to Bulgaria. And now, back to the podcast. So, he offered words of life in the midst of the man's despair. And I think the message here from John is, that's what we're called to do. Bring words of life in the midst of despair. I remember a woman, I was in a tent city after the earthquake in Haiti, and, uh, and we're walking through, and the despair was incredible. It was palpable, because it was just a disaster. It was terrible. And uh, I'm just looking at Christina right now, because she knows even better than I, because many of you might know she was in the earthquake, and we went back a few months later. And, you know, one of the things, we saw incredible, incredible miracles there, but one of the most memorable things for me was sitting in the dirt, with a woman named Carmen, with two kids, and listening to just the hopelessness and the despair. And all I could do was put my arm around her and begin to talk, and begin to just try to bring life into her. Which, by the way, uh, she's walking with the Lord now. She's part of a friend of mine's church who happened to call me an hour ago. But, uh, but, But it's that we're called to... Bring life. Look for those opportunities, folks. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. This healing happened in an unexpected way. He didn't carry him into the water, right? He thought, well, this is the way it works here. This is the, here's the deal. You get in the water, you're the first guy in, and you win the lottery. But Jesus surprised him, and he keeps surprising us and teaching us to listen. He does not want us to rely on expected methods. He wants us to rely on him. So, <clears throat> there was an exchange, right? 
And uh, his paralysis and, and emotional brokenness uh, was exchanged, and he received life. And he gets up and he carries his mat and he walks into the town and right away gets into trouble. Isn't that marvelous? Uh, but this is what we're called to do. We're called to bring heaven now. Um, notice that the healing was instant. His whole life changed in a moment. This happens all the time. And I want to encourage people to understand and think in a bigger paradigm than, than traditionally just healing. When God brings a healing, it's really a life rescued. Uh, we have scores of stories, hundreds of stories, of, of people whose lives were able to take a, a radically different direction. When, when, a, when a five-year-old girl uh, who was deaf prayed for a couple of months ago, and then in an instant she could hear her whole life change. All the possibilities, all the future. So I want you to, to, and I think John wants us to recognize that that it's like being set free. It's it's all the possibilities change. So this guy's happy. He's carrying his mat. He can't believe it. This is the best thing that's happened in thirty-eight years. And somebody says to him, one of the religious leaders says, "Hey, bub, it's the Sabbath." Uh, Bub is actually in the Amplified Version. Uh, it's the Sabbath. It is illegal for you to carry your mat. Religion could not see beyond its own rules and laws to see the miracle that had happened. Could not receive the man. Because he's still that guy from the asylum. He's that guy from the asylum. I think we must where we must be on guard and vigilant against our own social prejudices, our own constraints, the conditions we put on people, and we miss the grace of God. And we miss it all the time. And we have to be so careful. Because God operates in ways that are way outside of our comfort zone. Um, Psalm 84 is a wonderful psalm that really describes what the church is, the tabernacle. And it says there in one of the early verses that, that in God's dwelling there's always a place for the swallow and the sparrow. The sparrow represents in the Bible the poor. And the swallow always represents the disenfranchised, the disconnected, the restless. And God says... In my house, there's always a place for you. There's always a place for you, just as you are. So, let's jump down to verse 17. He says, My father, actually, I think I'll give us a context. So, go verse 16. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus responded to them, My father is still working. And I am working also. Jesus was totally committed to doing the works of the Father. If anybody cares, it's a great word in Greek, the ergon, E-R-G-O-N, and it pops up all over the place. And it's about, it's about being about the Father's business. Um, remember the end of uh, Luke 2, I think it's verse uh, 47, I I think he says to his parents, he's 12 years old, he says, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? 
He tells parables about do business until I come. Remember the parable of the miners and so forth? That Aragon is doing the business, doing the works. Um, he was totally committed to that. John 9, verse 4, he says, We must do the works of him who sent me. He didn't say we must have right doctrine. We must have good, solid theology. He says we must do the works of him who sent me. Isn't it interesting in uh, Matthew 25, the last public discourse is the, the sheep and the goats. And we remember the story and they're divided and it's a way better deal to be a sheep than a goat in that story, right? But they're divided not based on, he says, come, my father welcomes you, come because your doctrine was good. He only says this because I was hungry and you fed me, I was thirsty and you gave me drink, I was in prison and you visited me, I was a stranger and you invited me in. These are the works. We watch Jesus doing the works of the Father. So, what work of the Father did He do? He brought life to the paralytic, and our work is to bring life, the life of Christ to people. And He also says this, really interesting, and back if you look later, uh, you can go back later to John 6, 29. Another time He talks about the Ergon, the work of the Father. He says, this is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. It's interesting. So, so we're not called to just kind of do good works, but to believe, to cling to. That word believe means cling to, by the way, to cling uh, to the one he has sent. And and this is what it means. This is this is Isaiah 61:3, making the exchange beauty for ashes. Right? And and most of you have heard me say there are ashes all around you, in your neighborhood. Um, I, Kelly, I took you uh, a year or two ago, didn't I, under the bridges? I think we did. There's ashes. I wanted to go dramatically where you could see where there's ashes, but they're everywhere. We were, we were down in the very poor part of the city three weeks ago, took some people down there. Ashes, ashes, ashes. People, I saw women with bruises all over them. You probably saw them too. I don't think they fell down the stairs. <laughs> There's ashes everywhere. And we're called to make the exchange. This is what we're called to do. So this passage is filled with really important things for us. And uh, I want you to remember Jesus was building a bridge and saying, come follow me as he went to the asylum. I want you to remember that he asks us a question. What do you want? Do you want to get well? That's the one there. He asks Zacchaeus, what do you want? What uh, do you want to get well? And there's a cost in every one of our lives. Because we hold on to our wounds. We hold on to the places that we're emotionally paralyzed or whatever. He says, do you want to get well? So, are there any questions on this before we... Move into chapter six. Yes. So, if this is an asylum and it's this huge pool and there's all of these desperate people there, here, like in the marketplace healings, he heals one person. What about all those other people? I don't know. That's a great question. I I think again the the key could be in verse six where it says he saw him. That word saw isn't glance; it's perceived. And so my guess is that Father, because 
Further on in this chapter, verse 19, he says, I only do the things I see my Father doing, right? Remember that verse? Very famous verse. This chapter, I wish we could have taught on it for two minutes. So my, I can only make an assumption. And the assumption I make from that is that Papa said that one. Do you remember, I think, did I tell the story last week, walking through a village and seeing a paralyzed woman lying on a mat, and suddenly... I just stopped and knew, ah, and I turned and took her by the hand and said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. I, I don't want to sound like I walk around doing that all the time. I don't. But there are a few times where heaven breaks in. I'm presuming it was like that. I was just walking. I was having a conversation with someone. Truthfully, I didn't notice. You think you'd notice a woman lying in the mat. But I didn't even notice her until suddenly there was this quickening. So that's my guess. But that's a great question. That's a great question. And where, where we have to be careful on that question is, it's too easy to say, well, I saw these, person, these people were sick, but I didn't sense the Father saying, heal them. Jesus healed them all, it says. Again and again and again, He healed them all. We don't know that He's the only one that was healed there. We don't know that. John is using this particular incident to teach us these principles. Remember how particular John is in the way he presents in fact, all of his healing encounters um, are one-on-one. -on -one. We see him with the woman at the well. We see him with, uh, with the blind man in, in chapter 9. We see this. It's very particular encounters. It's less almost broad brush, if I can say that, than the synoptics. Any other questions? Is this pool famous? Like, do you read about it in history? No. It was covered up. They only found it in the last 50 years. But it's huge, as I said. Uh, but no, we don't know a lot about it. We know that Herod it's the Great... It's such a strange thing that, you know, that their faith was that an angel stirred the water. And, and even that, that's verse 4, right? And that's even interesting because uh, some of the older manuscripts don't have that. And, and so was it, was it added on by a copyist later? Or was it in the original? There's... Arguments for both sides. Shall we go on to the next chapter? May I just uh, make a comment that I have not seen before is uh, verse 17, where it says, My father's been working until now, and I have been working. And Jesus says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And oh, by the way, you are in me, and I am in you. Oh, you're, you're jumped ahead to my next my <laughs> next uh, lesson. Well, then I go. Well done. <laughs> I go pause. No, well done. But it's true. That's very good, actually, because that leans us back into John, John's very Trinitarian beginning. We talked about the Trinity a little bit the first night. And, and so that's very, I didn't see that. The Father has been working, and I've been working. Again, Father and Son inseparable. That's excellent. And thus concludes yet another episode of the Impact Nations podcast. We do hope you're enjoying this series. Uh, don't forget to email your questions to podcast at impactnations.com. We'll be discussing those questions and more uh, in an upcoming episode. Thanks, and have a great week.